This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. The title of the first message illustrating hope in action is hope is here. The first thing you need to know about hope in action is that hope has a locale. Hope has a location. And that location is exactly where you are right now. God knows your number. God knows your address. God knows the hairs on your head. God knows what your situation is. If you're going to have hope, first of all, say hope is here. Let's say that. Hope is here. Where is hope? It's right where you are. Why? Because God knows where you are. So the simple outline for this message is this as we cover Exodus 13, 14 to 14, 2, it's this, God delivers me from bondage. God directs me toward growth. And God determines my setting. We're going to learn from the children of Israel, the Israelites, the people of God, these three principles. God delivers me from bondage, God directs me toward growth, and God determines my setting. First of all, we look at the fact that God delivers me from bondage. It says in Exodus 13, 14, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Aren't you glad that just as God delivered the Israelites from bondage to slavery in Egypt, He has so also delivered you from bondage and slavery to Satan and to sin and to death. He's delivered you out of bondage through Jesus Christ, His Son, our Savior, our Deliverer. We have a testimony to share that once we were lost, but now we are found. Once we were blind, but now we see. Once we were dead, but now we're alive. Praise God that He delivers today. For those of you who don't have a Bible background, let me explain this. God, the God of the universe, has had a plan from the beginning. He created the heavens and the earth. He made human beings, Adam and Eve. And from all of humanity, He chose Abram and said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And through you, the whole world will be blessed. And God promised to Abram land. And that land was the promised land, the land of Canaan. But he told him in advance, your peoples will be in slavery for a period of time, but I shall deliver them. 
Is God a promise keeper? Yes, He is. And are God's people completely free and immune from pain and suffering? No. We are going to go through tough times. We are going to have experiences that are hard and harsh and give us a heartache. But God is our deliverer. So God made this promise in advance. There was a man named Jacob. There was Abraham, then his son Isaac, then his son Jacob, and from Jacob who had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And among the 12 brothers was Joseph. And they made fun of him because he had a dream. They sold him off and he ended up in Egypt. He rose from prison to prime minister as God delivered him over and over again. And as prime minister, he was able to save the then known world from starving to death because God had given the Pharaoh a dream that he interpreted that said, put food away for seven years because there's going to be seven years of famine. Praise God that He is delivering us. Delivering us. He's got a plan of deliverance. You could see that theme going throughout. The brother said, oh, please don't kill us now that our dads died. Don't get revenge on us. And Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many. But then there was a Pharaoh who knew not of Joseph. He had forgotten the good that Joseph of the people of Israel had done for Egypt. He saved Egypt. He saved the then known world out of famine, out of starving to death. But there was a Pharaoh who forgot that history and started oppressing the Jews, oppressing the Israelites. So much so, he made them make bricks for his work projects. And then he said they're multiplying too quickly. I want the midwives to throw all male children born of the Israelites into the water and drown them. This is the first reference we have to abortion in the Bible. Pharaoh wanted all the male babies aborted. Just killed. A genocide, if you will. And the idea was to suppress and oppress these people. And uh, God raised up a deliverer named Moses. Moses said, let my people go. You could envision Charlton Heston saying, let my people go. And instead, Pharaoh made things even harder on the Israelites. Okay, in this case, you're going to still have to make the same quota of bricks, only you're going to have to make it without straw, which is a key ingredient for holding the bricks together. So they had to work twice as hard. They were crying out to the people. And I have to tell you, in my private devotions as a young man, I was reading in Exodus chapter 3 where it says, they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord said, I have heard your cry. I know of your pain. I have not forgotten you. I remember my promises to you and I will raise up a deliverer. And he raised up Moses. And Moses uh, kept going back to Pharaoh and Pharaoh kept saying no. And God caused ten plagues to come onto Egypt. By the way, Egyptians were polytheistic. That means they worshipped many gods. And each of the ten plagues 
represented a different God, that God was greater than. These are all false gods. The God of frogs, he sent a plague of frogs. Uh, so God showed that he alone is God as he gave these plagues that were undeniable of the power of God. Finally, the tenth plague was when all the firstborn of Egypt died. Now, had it not been for God protecting his people, they would have experienced loss. But what did God instruct them to do? He said, I want you to uh, kill a lamb. And I want you to put the blood of this blemish-free lamb, uh, paint the blood on the doorpost, the frame of your door. And when the spirit of destruction comes, he will pass over your house. That's where we get the festival or feast called Passover. It's in remembrance that because of the blood of the blemish-free lamb, the spirit of destruction passed over each house that had the blood on it, but each house that did not have the blood on it, the firstborn were killed, including Pharaoh's son. So Pharaoh says, get out of here and take whatever you want with you. Just get out of here. God delivered Israel from 400 years of Egyptian bondage. They went from a family of about 70 to a nation of 2 million people. 2 million people made the exodus out of Egypt. 2 million people were freed from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And God said, commemorate this, remember this by celebrating Passover. Now for us as Christians, our Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. It's by His shed blood applied to our souls that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The spirit of destruction has to pass over us because we're in Christ. Because Christ shed His blood for us. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're under the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ has washed away all your sins. You are protected you're kept safe. You have been delivered. You have been delivered and transferred from the dominion of darkness under Satan to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Praise be to God that God delivers me from bondage. Would you say that with me? God delivers me from bondage. Say it like you believe it. God delivers me from bondage. Praise the Lord. Now we see, secondly, that God directs me toward growth. God directs me toward growth. Exodus 13, 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. When we read this in context, we see that God had a plan. He always has a plan, and that plan is for our deliverance. And that plan says to us this, that the shortest way is not always the best way. Pastor Bruce Gilbert said that had God led the Israelites the direct way, it would have taken them only 11 days to go from Egypt into the Promised Land. 
11 days. But no, God led them a different way. Do you know why? Number one, the Scriptures say that God led them a different way because if they had seen the enemy that they're going to have to fight, the people that they're going to have to dispose from the land of Canaan, the promised land, they would have chickened out and would have run right back to Egypt. So they weren't battle ready yet. Secondly, this is very important, they still had a victim mentality. They still were thinking like slaves. And God wanted them to realize, hey, I am your loving caregiver. I'm the one who provides for you. And I will faithfully provide for you. And God wanted them to live by faith, not by disbelief. And boy, did they grumble and complain. And they attacked their leaders, uh, Moses and Aaron. They had a lot to learn. They wandered in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. And then that generation didn't even go in, except for Joshua and Caleb. So God had a lot of purifying to do of his chosen people of the nation of Israel before they were ready to claim the promise of the promised land. So God directs you and me in growth. We say, God, uh, I really want you to have me in this position of service or, or in this job or have this level of health or be able to influence to this level. Guess what? God answers you with a yes, a no, a slow, or a grow. When God hears your prayer, His answer is one of those four. Yes, I will grant that. No, that's not for you. I got something better for you. Or go slow, wait on me, wait on me. Or grow, grow in character because everything comes out of character. So God directs me toward growth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God would rather grow you in holiness than in superficial happiness? Do you believe that God's ways are higher than your ways as the heavens are above the earth? Do you believe God is the all-wise God and He knows what He's doing? Do you believe that God does all things well? Then let's say this together. God directs me toward growth. All right. So God not only delivers me from bondage, He also directs me toward growth. And finally, God determines my setting. God determines my setting. Exodus 14, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharairoth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Now, this is fascinating because God gave Moses specific directions. He gave them the GPS coordinates for where they were supposed to go next. I want you to picture this. That when two million Israelites left Egypt, how were they led? They were led by God Himself as a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. Sometimes we would love to have God 
clearly lead us like that, where we could see the flashlight of the spotlight on the path before us that he wants us to go on. The Israelites have that. When you begin in faith, you begin with training wheels. You remember training wheels when you had a bicycle? Some of you, you had training wheels, which were these two little wheels on the side of your back wheel, and they, uh, they helped you with balance. They weren't exactly the same as your center wheel, but when you leaned to the right, they kept you from falling that way. When you leaned to the left, they kept you from falling that way. When you begin as someone learning the bicycle, you need training wheels. When you're a new believer, God gives you training wheels to grow your faith. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing Faith is believing that which you cannot see. So they were walking by sight. We're walking by faith. They had training wheels. God expects us to trust Him no matter what. To fix our eyes upon Him, even when we can't see Him, we trust Him. And He does go before us. He does lead us. The Holy Spirit says, walk ye in this way. Don't turn to the right or to the left. And we need to listen to him, develop big ears towards God so we're listening to him. Well, here's what happens. When God leads the people, he also gives instructions to Moses. And he gives Moses the craziest instruction ever imaginable. When you're escaping, you should keep on escaping. You should keep on running away from your enemies. But instead, God told Moses to have the people do a U-turn and go back. Go back to one of the major fortresses of Egypt. Go right by the Red Sea. Go right next to where there's a huge mountain on your other side. In other words, I want you to go to a box canyon situation. You're going to be right in camp by the Red Sea. You're going to have the fortress to your right. You're going to have the mountain to your left. You're going to have the the Red Sea behind you. And eventually you're going to have Pharaoh and his army with 600 chariots coming right at you. Now wait a second. Does God ever allow us to be put in a tough situation. I think you've lived long enough to say, God has a higher estimation of my ability to tolerate pain and suffering than I do. Right? So God does stretch our faith. God does give us a test, but a test is for us to pass. He never gives us a test unless He knows that with His help, we're going to pass it. That's the purpose of the test. So what do you do? when you're between a rock and a hard place, as they are going to be between the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his Egyptian army. Someone has said they're between the devil and the deep blue sea. They're in what's called a catch-22 situation. How are they going to get out? The first thing we need to know is God is sovereign. God knows where you are. He knows your address. He knows your number. He knows the hairs on your head. 
God knows your situation. And even when you obey Him and you encounter trials of various kinds, rejoice that God is in control. Rejoice that God has a plan. Rejoice that God is about delivering you out of bondage. He's about directing you towards growth. And He has determined the best setting to do that. And so we see from the Scriptures here, Acts 17, 26b and 27, God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. Paul was speaking to the elite philosophers in Athens. And he says, I see you have a monument to the unknown God. Let me tell you who He is. He's the maker of the heavens and earth. He made one man, and out of one man, He made all of humanity, and He determined where they were to settle. He marked out their times in history and the boundaries of their lands, and He did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He's not far from any one of us. And so God will move you from one situation to another. You might be out of the frying pan and into the fire so that you might reach out for Him and find Him. You know when a person is most open to spiritual truths? They're most open to spiritual truths when they go through a crisis. When their worlds are turned upside down, when they are shaken after surgery, when you move to a new town and everything's new to you, that's when your heart is open. Because when you are settled in one place, you've got everything wired. You know exactly where you're going. You know all the people around you. You're so comfortable. You are so set. You're not open to change. You're not open to growth. You're not open to God speaking to you because you became too complacent. And you know what God does? He shakes you up. He takes that hard soil of your heart, that pharaoh ground, and He breaks it up so that the seed of His Word might go into your heart. And so God wants us to realize wherever we are, whatever we're going through, it's meant for us to reach out to Him and to seek Him. And the best part is, He's right there. James says, Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Does that mean that God's far away from you right now? No. God's right here, and if anyone's moved away from Him, it's you. And you say, God, yes. Did you see that? You say, God, yes. Where is He? He's right here. Who moved away? You did. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. He's right there. He wants you to come to Him, reach out to Him. And He's easy to find because He's been seeking you the whole time. So let me ask you this. Where are you? Let's try to identify the coordinates on the map of where you are. By the way, can I say something that's kind of obvious? We are finite creatures. Finite means we're not going to live forever. Finite means 
that we are creatures in a space-time continuum. Space-time continuum means I cannot be in two places at the same time. I am right here, right now, because I'm finite. God is infinite. He's not limited by a place. He can be all places at all times. He's omnipresent, all present. So we're finite. God's infinite. So now, where are you? Are you a hide-and-seek Adam? Adam and Eve sinned against God. God went in the morning to meet with them like he always does. And he says, Adam, where are you? Where were they? They were hiding. Hiding behind trees. Why? Because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? She made me do it. So you may be hiding from God right now because you've sinned. And because of sin, you're experiencing the shame of nakedness. And you feel you're not any good and God won't want to love you and God doesn't care about you and He's mad at you. I'm here to tell you, God loves you. God comes after you. He didn't ask, where are you, Adam? Because he didn't know where Adam was. It wasn't a game of hide and seek like he hoped he could find which tree Adam was hiding behind. He knew exactly where Adam was. He asked the question, where are you? So that Adam would identify where he was. So God's asking you, where are you right now? Are you running from me? Are you hiding from me? There's no reason to do that. I love you. I cherish you. I want a daily relationship with you where we meet every morning. I love that song, In the Garden. I come to the garden alone. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he he tells me I am his own. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God wants. But then, secondly, I'm still back on the other slide there, please. The next one, besides the hide-and-seek Adam, no, backwards, is the... uh, One more. Is the harassed Hagar. Hagar was harassed because she had a baby and um, um, Sarah did not. Who? Sarah did not. So Sarah says to Abram, it's all your fault. And he says, do what you want to her, with her. And she gives her such a harassment time that she runs away with her son Ishmael. An angel of the Lord comes to her and says, I have heard your cries, because they got to the point where they were going to just die of dehydration. They were so thirsty. And she put him under a separate place so she couldn't see him die. And the angel of the Lord said, no, I'm going to make many nations from Ishmael. And so you go back there because I'm with you. And she named that place the God who sees. Do you feel that you've been harassed and harangued? Do you feel like You've been getting the short end of the stick. People have not been expressing appreciation to you. They don't even know that you exist. God is the one who sees. He sees what you're doing in secret. And He will reward you. God knows your address. Maybe you're wrong way Jonah. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And instead of going to Nineveh, He got on a boat heading to Tarshish, the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. Because Nineveh were a bunch of bloodthirsty warriors, and he didn't want them to repent. He wanted them to be wiped off by God's judgment. He went the wrong way. How many of you 
know that God's calling you to serve Him in ministry and you don't want to go. You don't want to be in ministry. You don't want to tell the gospel to others who don't deserve hearing the gospel, don't deserve receiving Christ. God's wanting to teach you that He's a God of compassion. And just as He taught Jonah to have compassion on a plant that was here today, giving Him shade and gone tomorrow, God wants you to realize there are thousands of kids who need the Lord. How can they hear unless we go? We need to be about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel for there's a power of God into salvation for all who believe. Let's go tell them. Let's not be wrong way Jonah's running the other way. Maybe you're a wine press Gideon. Gideon was thrashing wheat in a wine press. He was chicken little. He's hiding in a wine press to thrash the wheat. When an angel Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, who, me? Yes, God's going to use you to deliver Israel. And uh, God has an assignment for you. And the people he picks to lead and to influence are the least likely people. If you've got a stutter like Moses, he's going to call you to speak. If you're hiding in a wine press as a coward, he's going to call you to be a commander. Why? So that he gets the glory. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.